0: Friends, here's a very obvious thing to say. The world is rife with anti-immigrant energy. Case in point, the main suspect in the New Zealand terrorist attack had posted a lengthy manifesto laced with anti-immigrant, anti-Muslim, and white supremacist tropes, including some from the United States. And then an anti-immigration senator tweeted that the victims brought the terror on themselves by immigrating to New Zealand in the first place. Last year, this same senator publicly advocated a whites-only immigration policy. As this sort of nationalist fear-mongering sweeps around the world, including here in wall-obsessed United States, We would do very well to consider our history, especially here in New York City, where our harbor is graced by Lady Liberty. You remember the poem you learned in grade school that graces her pedestal? Give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free, the wretched refuse of your teeming shore. Send these, the homeless, tempest-tossed to me. I lift my lamp beside the golden door. Man, does that ever sound out of step with current conditions. and more relevant for recovery than ever. One of the things I've really cherished about Christ Church over my decades here has been the remarkable ethnic and national diversity we eventually assembled. At one point some years ago, I uh, did an informal sweep through our membership roles and found that we were way more than 50 different national and ethnic identities a really rich human tapestry within our ranks. There are many members and friends of Christ Church who have had to affirm this statement. I hereby declare on oath that I absolutely and entirely renounce and abjure all allegiance and fidelity to any foreign prince, potentate, state, or sovereignty of whom or of which I have heretofore been a subject or citizen. This is the culminating statement at the end of the N-400 application for naturalization, Department of Homeland Security, United States Citizenship and Immigration Services. It's rather bracing language, isn't it? Bracing and severe. A statement renouncing all claims to a prior citizenship. Several generations ago, my forebears, mostly from Germany, made their own version of this renunciation, I am assuming. In their case, in the case of my family forebears, they truly left the old behind. No attempt at hanging on to relatives or other associations from the old country were made, so far as I know. No one in my family ever spoke of it. They came in the latter part of the 19th century, built a life in the new country, created families and initiated a new history and a new citizenship. But you know, friends, of course, almost everyone, almost, comes from genetic lines that have come from elsewhere. Apart from Native Americans who were violently suppressed and sequestered into the euphemistically named reservations, this nation was built from the sweat of African slaves and nomads, all from somewhere else. Over several complicated and bloody centuries, all of these have been amalgamated into citizens of a republic to which we learned as children to pledge our allegiance, now the most powerful nation, the colossus that bestrides the world, and a magnet for untold millions who would come and stay if they can affirm the N-400 application and renounce their citizenships in other lands. Citizenship is a potent identity marker. To be an American citizen carries with it a a certain freight. Those of you who have traveled internationally know this well. People in other lands have very specific ideas about what it means to be American. At a recent dinner, I sat next to a French national, a university professor of anthropology. She tried very hard not to go to a critical place in assessing the American situation but she couldn't help herself, and she had to press my understanding of what was going on here. Later, when she learned I was a minister, I became a fascinating specimen for study. (laughs) She put on her anthropological lens. Now, the social setting wasn't conducive to her questions about the role of religion in American politics, but being a religious skeptic herself, And also, I would add, theologically unsophisticated, despite her evident intelligence, she had almost no understanding of our religious scene. And she had absolutely no category in which to place me. I was struck by how easily even smart people can create false constructs about others, and honestly, that idea has stuck with me because I'm sure I do the same thing myself. But I recalled our conversation this week as I read through the lessons and landed on that phrase from Paul's letter to the Philippians. Our citizenship is in heaven, he wrote. And I was reminded that there is a brand of Christianity in this nation that confuses this heavenly citizenship with the earthly which isn't to say there is no relationship between the two, but at the end of the day, one of these really does trump the other. Sometimes, though, this trumping gets confused, to the point that for some, it would seem they are near equivalents. In Paul's day, the Roman emperor was the focus of religious devotion. There was a time that Paul claimed his Roman citizenship when he had been arrested for sedition. He did this because his citizenship conferred certain privileges within Roman law. When he wrote his letter to the Philippians, however, he was sitting in a Roman prison, since that same law cut both ways. And what he wrote about had nothing to do with his Roman passport and everything to do with his citizenship in heaven. And you know, that citizenship had its own quasi-equivalent of the N-400 application. It was called baptism. The baptismal questions required a combination of renunciations and affirmations. Here's how we frame it today when people get baptized, we ask them, do you renounce the spiritual forces of wickedness and reject the evil powers of this world and repent of your sin? Do you accept the freedom and power God gives you to resist evil, injustice, and oppression in whatever forms they present themselves? You know, the earliest Christian confession, Jesus Christ is Lord, was a very subversive act, since only who could be Lord? Caesar. Caesar was Lord. The Pledge of Allegiance in Paul's day was Kyrios Kaiser. Caesar is Lord. Baptism in such a context, when you claim Jesus is Lord, was a radically political act, clearly delineating one's primary citizenship. Citizenship. Paul was telling his friends in Philippi that they constituted an outpost of resident aliens in the midst of the Roman Empire. That's one way to understand the role of the church, citizen outposts of the kingdom of God. Thought of like this, the Lord's Prayer takes on added significance when we pray, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. And then ending with the reiterative, For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. We could call this one of the church's constituting documents that is regularly repeated every Sunday, at least, so as not to confuse one citizenship with another. And you know, when you look through the historical record, some of the greatest human tragedies have occurred because the church was all too willing to serve the purposes of the Lesser Allegiance. Will Willemann Will reminds us that, the, that Nazi Germany was a devastating test for the church. Its capitulation before Nazism and its theological incapacity to see things clearly and to call them by their proper names sends a chill down the spine of today's church. It does mean. Do you remember the history? Do you know it? After Hitler's seizure of power, Christians faced pressure to Aryanize the church, to expel Jewish Christians from the ordained ministry and to adopt the Nazi Führer principle as the organizing principle of church government. In general, the churches succumbed to these pressures, and many Christians embraced them willingly. The pro-Nazi German Christian movement became a force in the church. They glorified Adolf Hitler as a German prophet that, and preached that racial consciousness was a source of revelation alongside the Bible. That's not a fable. <laughs> That's fact. Some did resist the great theologian Karl Barth and Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who, like Paul, also wound up in prison, a concentration camp, to be exact, where he, too, wrote letters to his friends and family concerning the responsibilities of one's citizenship in heaven. Also, like Paul, he died for his loyalty to this primary allegiance. One wonders how the 20th century would have evolved had the majority of German Christians not confused their citizenship in heaven with their citizenship on earth, actually inverting their priority, creating a ghastly perversion. but such were the stakes at the time. We see that clearly from the distance of 80 years and the bloodiest century in human history. We see it clearly now. Why does it take the distance of so much time to see such a thing? That's a very good question for Lent. Here's another one, another good question for Lent. What are the ramifications of living the royal law as citizens of heaven today? Do you remember the royal law in the kingdom of God? What's the royal law in the kingdom of God? up there in our mosaics. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. I am feeling deeply that these days require a searingly, (laughs) a searingly brand new appreciation of what it means to follow after the way Jesus blazed, claiming our principal citizenship above all else in heaven. This prayer we prayed, Holy God, why is it that we look But do not see. Bring us again and again into your light until your ways become visible to us and bear fruit in us. May it be so.